Well, it's good to see you in spite of all the rain and hurricanes and earthquakes going on. Somebody told me this morning, says, uh, you know, as long as Hank was here, they never had a hurricane hit here. I said, well, we haven't had one hit in two years, have we? <laughs> you watch, it'll hit next week. <laughs> anyway, somebody sent this to me. It says, a new pastor was visiting in the homes of his parishioners. At one house, it seems obvious that someone was home, but no answer came. So, repeated knocks at the door. Therefore, he took out a business card and wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back of it and stuck it on the door. When the offering was processed the following Sunday, he found that his card had been returned. Added to it was this cryptic message, Genesis 3.10. Reaching for his Bible to check out the citation, he broke up in gates of laughter. Revelation 3.20 begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.10 says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. So some people are taking showers and can't always come to the door. I thought that was pretty cute. Anyway, I have something I wanted to give to you. And if uh, I get a little help, I had just a little help. I don't want a lot of help, just a little help. Why don't you two guys pass these out here? All right. We say that we love and appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I preached a sermon not long ago on Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I thought it was neat that um, on Friday night soul winning, the teenagers get to go out. Peter takes them out, and, and also Betty Dowdy and a few others go with them. And anyway, they have a great time. And uh, they're learning how to get a little boldness in talking to people. And after a while, you'll find out what works really good, you know, to open up a conversation. And, um, and sometimes you have to make a, a point of what works best for you. I, I've never found an illustration better than the, the hand gesture we use for the, you know, with a wallet illustration. Or you can use your purse or a shoe or just don't hit him with it. But you can use a lot of things to represent sin. I never let the Bible represent sin, and I usually don't let, uh, you know, a heaven track represent sin. I, I don't know. Can, I guess, but I would prefer not. So, um, anyway, if you'll look there in the notes that I just gave to you, uh, there comes a time in your life when you have to figure out what is my, 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 my life purpose, my purpose in my life. Now, we know in the book of John in chapter 15, and I spoke on this not long ago, about, you know, bearing fruit. And that uh, Christ says, unless you abide in me, you shall do nothing. You can do nothing. But he said, herein, in verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And we believe the fruit there is really referring to people that we win to Christ, bearing fruit. And uh, we know there's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and so forth. So forth. And, uh, but we are supposed to have people that we can talk to and lead to the Lord. And it's not always the easiest thing. It's, it, it really isn't. And, uh, and I like to say I take advantage of every opportunity, but I, I don't. 
I don't think I can say like the Apostle Paul, I am free from the blood of all men because he, he hit everybody. And um, he covered all the areas and all the bases. And I guess uh, this one guy says, you mean you was in the presence of this individual for a whole hour and you didn't give him the gospel? <laughs> you were in the presence of a person for a whole hour and didn't give him the gospel? Ugh. I've done, done that a lot of times and not give the gospel. But you need to know what your purpose is. And so the life purpose is to glorify the Lord, which means to bear fruit. Now, the goal, look at the next statement. What is our life goal? That's to lead the people to the Lord. So you've got to know what is my life purpose to glorify the Lord, because that's what God wants. And so what he wants is what I should have as my goal in life. So then I seek to find out how do I fulfill this responsibility. Now, the next statement, keeping this in mind, listen to the questions all children and adults ask themselves sometimes in their lives. Because this is what I want to give to you right now are things that I tried to teach the kids that were in college on making the gospel clear even for little kids. See, if little kids can understand you, then you have a possibility that the adults will. Because believe it or not, it's harder to reach adults than it is kids. And if you can win kids, then you might be able to reach an adult. Because they're looking for a gimmick. They're looking for the, the bottom line. The, the, the adults, see, they, they, they're set in their ways. And they don't trust you as easy. Little children are trusting. And I think it's good and if you want to reach an adult, the best time to reach an adult is when they are children. Because these children are going to grow up to be adults. So you want to reach them while you can. So the next statement, what to do, what do I want to do with my life? So my life perfect. The answer should be, and here's the two things from, we get from the law, and that is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. To love my neighbor as myself. So these two things, love the Lord and love others. And so to demonstrate that I do, this is what I do, then what should I be? Because sometimes we always wonder, well, what would you like to be when you grow up? Well, what you want to be will determine what you do. I want to be, be a fireman. Well, if you're a fireman, that kind of tells you what you're going to do. You're going to put out fires. And if you want to be a policeman, that kind of said, oh, this is what I want to be, so I determine what you want to do. So I wanted to be a soul winner. So I knew what I had to be, to be a soul winner, to win people to Christ. Now look what the uh, next statement. What do I want to be in my life, my life goal? The answer should be to be a mirror of the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life to others, to be a specialist at sharing the gospel of salvation with everyone I meet and train them to serve him. Now, everyone you meet, you're not going to, but you should be prepared to. You never know when you're going to get certain opportunities to talk to people, and wouldn't it be a shame to have somebody come up to you, could you please tell me how to go to heaven? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. No, I think you probably will know enough. If you've been coming here long enough, you've seen enough and heard enough that you would know how to get through it. But the reason for your faithfulness is not just because of the person you may witness to, but because of the Christian that might see you doing it. 
Now, you don't do it to be seen of men, but you should be seen of men because the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. So there's nothing wrong in people seeing you talk to people about the Lord. Your motive isn't to be that it's just because the only reason I'm witnessing or passing out tracts is so everybody can see me how great I am. Because God says, if you're doing it for that, you've already got your reward when you do it for people, just to be, just to be seen of men. So you've got to get the balance in there and do it because you know it's a right thing to do. You do want to influence others. So don't hold back and uh, be so shy and timid. And because that's, you know, that's the way I am. I'm, I'm very shy and very timid and I have to make myself do these things. But uh, the second point, to be a specialist at sharing the gospel of salvation with them when I meet and train them to serve the Lord. You don't have to be a specialist in everything. You don't have to know everything. I've often told people, I says, between me and God, we know everything. And between me and God, we can do anything. But, of course, you know it's God's going to have to do it because I can't, I don't know everything. I don't, I can't do everything. God does. So you want to be a specialist at making the gospel clear. So when you talk to a football player, it's nice if you can know a little football language and talk to them a little bit, maybe to open the conversation, but... Uh, you want to be a specialist on the gospel. I mentioned this to you before. When I had an opportunity to give devotion for the Denver Broncos out in Colorado, and um, they called me up and asked me if I'd come and give devotions, and so I said, sure. So I went down there right before the Oakland Raiders game, and um, they had the whole team there, and they are going to go play in the, <coughs> in the uh, I forgot what they even call that now, the Go Stadium. But anyway, mile high. And... Uh, so I go in there, and there's the coach, Red Miller, and there was Floyd Little and Bobby Anderson and all these guys in there. I, 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 I didn't know them. I just knew a couple of the guys' names. And anyway, I, I didn't talk to them about how to play the game. They got a coach to teach them that. They know more about how to play football than I do. So I don't want to be an expert on that. I just want to know how to tell them how to have eternal life. So I spent a half an hour telling the little wallet illustration. So I can tell that little wallet illustration in two minutes, or I can take 10 minutes, or I do it in 30 minutes. All you do is just explain a little bit more on each point. But when I got through and gave the invitation, I had about 25 trusts of the Lord. So it's, it's worth doing it. It's worth knowing it. And I had a chance before to speak uh, at different places. I had a guy named Jerry Bird that would fly me all the way to, I don't know, Utah, to speak to uh, Christian businessmen associations, and I was 26 years old. I just got out of Florida Bible College, and I had gone through the camps, and now I'm in Colorado. And so he would he'd fly me to certain places, and I would speak. I didn't have to speak to them on business and how to run their business. All I would do is just explain the gospel. Become a specialist in that. You don't have to know everything. To witness to a doctor, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a lawyer to witness to a lawyer. You've got the greatest knowledge in the world that's greater than what a doctor or a lawyer or a banker or anybody knows. The most intellectual people in the world, if they don't know God, you're one up on them. If you know how to get to heaven, you're better off. And so, therefore, talk to them about what you know and explain that. In other words, next statement, Diner, be a specialist at sharing the gospel of Christ. Some important things to remember. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that know they're going to heaven and those that don't know they're going to heaven. 
See how simple that was? I used to talk, I'd ask the person something, I'd say, what kind of religion are you? Just to kind of get a question going, a conversation. They said, well, uh, I'm Catholic. Oh, so well, okay, well, you know, there's only two kinds of Catholics. So what's that? The kind that's going to heaven, the kind that ain't. I said, which kind are you? And they got to think. Uh, I'm a Baptist. Well, well that's good. Okay, um, there's only two kinds of Baptists, the kind that's going to heaven, the kind that ain't. A Pentecostal. I don't, you name the religion, you use the same thing. There's only two kinds. I don't get in an argument about their religious belief. Are you the kind that's going to heaven, the kind that isn't? And it eliminates a lot of stuff. It gets right down to it. I was talking to this one kid, and uh, me and Betty had gone to this uh, Sprint store to get our little cell phones corrected. It, it didn't want to work right all the time. <coughs> Something happened to mine, and I had to get it done. So anyway, he, he had to do it, and he had to wait and wait and wait and wait for it to download something. I says, um, you know, we got a few minutes here. Can I ask you a question? He says, sure. I said, isn't it true you heard all your life that Christ died on the cross and paid for all the sins of the world? He said, yeah. And then what's the next question I usually always ask? Well, the next question is, if he paid for all of our sins, why do we have to go to hell and pay for sin if he paid for it? He said, I never thought of that. So I explained it to him a little bit more, and, and he said, that makes sense. And he thanked me for telling him that. So you can, you can get somebody to trust the Lord. And this is standing in the store while we're waiting on our, the cell phone to download some kind of information on it to make it work. But just learn how to do it. And it needs to be as natural as possible. You know, you don't just talk about, you know, the weather. Now i got to talk to you about the things of God. No, you... Would you want somebody to do that to you? No. And, uh, or to be in a line, you know, and you get up to the cash register. You kneel over there, and I'll kneel over here. Oh, God bless us. That's, that'd be petrifying. You ought to do it where nobody else even watching would ever even have a clue what you're doing. Unless another Christian from here knows it, what you're doing. And uh, believe it or not, you can win people to the Lord without even doing that. But it does help the individual to understand. So... The next statement, the best way to reach an adult with the gospel is to reach him or her as a child. Learn to reach children. It's a ripe harvest. One of the things about little children, they usually don't challenge you. They usually don't challenge you. They will listen to you. And if it makes it simple and clear to them, they'll trust the Lord. Most kids, if they understand it, they'll trust the Lord. Now, adults will argue all day long. That's why you have to be able to pick and choose and when to move on and when to shut up and so on. But then there's the next statement. Believing that Christ died, that's history. Believing Christ died for me, that's salvation. That's on the back of our tracks, by the way. Next statement. Being born again means you must have a second birth. It is important to know your spiritual birth date. Now, you may not know the exact day and hour. It's good if you do. It's good as you do. But if you don't, but you know you are saved. You should still be able to sing this little song. Happy birthday to you. Only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? Now we're little kids. That's a cute little tune. Happy birthday to you. Only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? Yay, too. So you lead little kids to the Lord is the biggest key of reaching the adults. You reach them while you can. Look at page two. As Paul Harvey would say, page two. 
Top of the page, sharing the gospel of salvation is a command. It's not something the preacher made up. It's something that God says to do. God gives to those who have trusted Him as their Savior. It is one of the main reasons why God left us here after we're saved. Because, you see, we can sing and all those things in heaven and fellowship, but here we're left to, to get this done. And this is why we want to support the ministries that get that done. That's why we should be thankful that we have a ministry like the uh, Tampa Youth Ranch because they're having a lot of people try to Savior. And uh, every once in a while we have some that will trust the Lord in church or some will trust the Lord because of um, the Reformers Unanimous. But see, the biggest thing is, is individual people just doing it as you, as you live your life and the people you get a chance to talk to and just looking for opportunities. But look at the next statement. We are entrusted with the gospel. Now, I know that most of you here, you already know most of this stuff. But you may not have it down in a, an order where you can teach it. See, every one of us ought to be teachers. Everybody should be a teacher. You should be teaching somebody because of you're living it. And people see what you're doing. And there's an advantage of doing that. Or you may wind up teaching in a Sunday school class or something like that. I'd love to have 10 Sunday school classes on Sunday morning. But everybody building a, a Sunday school class. But see, a lot of people don't feel like there's an interest there. There's like it's not as important. And yet it can be so valuable because not only for the people that are learning, but for the people that are teaching. Did you know you don't really know if you know what you think you know until you start trying to teach it to somebody else? Because then it really pulls it out of you. And you find out when you have to prepare something every week, every week, every week. You realize now, um, I have, you know, four or five times a week that I, you know, prepare things to speak on. Somebody asked me, says, how long does it take you to prepare a message? <laughs> I said, 50 years. Because, see, it wasn't done last week or two weeks ago or a year ago. I've spent 50 years learning so I can go back and get this illustration or this illustration or this Bible verse or whatever and put it together. But it's, it's harder when you don't have all of that knowledge behind you. But you see, you have to start building and getting some successful past experiences of people that you've led to the Lord. Because you know one day we'll all have to stand before the Lord. But look at the next statement. We are told to go into the entire world to preach the gospel. That's why we want to have missionaries everywhere. I'd love to have 50 you know, whenever uh, Lee Patton was here, he has a, a small church, Faith Bible Church, in San Antonio, Texas. He has sent hundreds to Bible college. And they support over 50 missionaries a year. And they give, I think, five or $6,000 a month to missions. A little small church, but all the people they, they, they give, support their church and give extra to missions. And I, every time I've gone to a lot of churches, and I've never seen a church that small support so many missionaries. just blows my mind. But um, think of that little church in how many places. And this is what he was talking about. He said, your, your faith is heard throughout the world because there's people everywhere because they have been influenced by that church. I was reading something, and somebody sent it on Facebook, and they were talking about the youth ranch, you know, from days gone by. 
And then one of them wrote in there about the West Coast Youth Ranch, started by Mel's Carbonell about 40 years ago. And then somebody told me about the ranch that they had right here, Tampa Youth Ranch, and they was talking about that youth ranch. And so you have people 40 years later, and when you start getting older, because you were reached when you were a teenager, and now see these guys are grown up, they're, they're old men, <laughs> I shouldn't say too old, but they're, they're older, and they look back and they know that the greatest thing that ever happened in that whole life of theirs was the day they trusted the Lord. And it might be that that little kid in a Sunday school class or in a Wanda program or whatever, and they come to know Christ as their Savior, and they don't look like nothing big and exciting then. No little kid just trusts the Lord. They know they're going to heaven when they die. And then they start slowly learning and growing and gaining a little knowledge here and a little knowledge there. And next thing you know, one of these days, they could be behind a pulpit someplace or a missionary or evangelist or raising a godly family. And the, the influence is so important. See, serving the Lord is letting God use the power of your influence in other people's lives. Anyway, the next statement. God says, he that wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30. He that winneth souls is, he's wise. When Christians follow Christ, he will make us fishers of men. God's will is for everyone to be saved. You know that. Who will tell them? Remember, in heaven we can pray. In heaven we can fellowship with others. But one thing we won't be able to do in heaven is share the gospel. So we pray for the unsaved. That's why we want to have the various ministries, and we say pray for ranch. Well, you don't pray, just pray for ranch. We're praying that they'll have some fruit, that they'll have people come. And we pray for the uh, Reformers Unanimous. You, you want people to come and hear the gospel. And um, uh, James has got an opportunity coming up on... Um, September the 8th, and um, he's going to be on the something Bunkley show? Bill Bunkley. Bun Bunkley or Bunkley? That guy. And uh, we're hoping it's going to be about the um, 5 o'clock, something like that, so whenever, you know, they're having drive time. And don't know how much time they're going to take, but he wrote down some of the questions and gave it to him that he's supposed to ask, and James is going to have the answers. And so uh, remember the paper, pray for why is he doing this? Because it's an opportunity to get on the radio and to give the gospel. And there might be a lot of people that will hear and see the importance of, hey, I need to be in that program. But you've got you to gotta sow seeds, sow seeds, sow seeds. And so this is what we want everybody to do. The next statement here, pray for the boldness to share the gospel because sometimes it takes boldness. Paul even talked about, pray that I may have boldness to open my mouth and to speak because, see, the hardest part is getting started. You all know this. If there's anything that I want for you as a church, I want God to reward you when you get to heaven. I want people to be in heaven because they heard the gospel from your lips personally. So I want to encourage you to do that. There are some that are getting some of that boldness. Uh, Peter was talking about some of the people that, well, when they first started out on Friday night soul winning, a little shy and timid and now it's like they it doesn't even bother them they just go and they can talk to you know just about anybody and so uh, do pray for these kids uh, look at everyone in the light of the gospel ask yourself are they saved use every opportunity to give the gospel weddings funerals showers birthday parties neighborhood parties when you ask to give a testimony of what is going on in your life 
Christmas letters and so forth. This way, if there is ever just one person in a group that is not saved, you had shared the most important information they could ever need. Also, for the Christians who hear you share the gospel over and over, they will learn how to present it clearly. Now, what I enjoy is when I do a wedding, I like to give the gospel. I have a young couple that want me to do their wedding coming up on November the 11th of 2011. 11, 11, 11. They thought it would be special that day. Okay, it'll be special that day. I says, but you know, I give the gospel. They said, well, we want you to. So they're going to have some people come, and all I'm looking at is I'm, I'm going fishing. And then whenever you do a funeral, funeral is a good place to go fishing. And there's opportunities when somebody, a loved one passes away in your family, that's a perfect chance to be able to talk to people about the Lord. Sometimes it's the only time people listen. Now, I've had people say, say this. They, they love the Lord. They love the gospel. But when they die, they have somebody else do the funeral that's not clear on the gospel. If you have the power in your hands, the authority to determine who should do your funeral, try to have somebody that will give the gospel because the person that's dead, they're dead. The funeral is not for the dead person. It's for those that are still alive that we may teach our hearts to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. That person that's died, they're already wherever they're going, they're there. They're not in that body. And so therefore, use that as an opportunity to get the gospel to the people that might come there for no other reason and may never darken the doors of a church. And don't naturally assume, well, the preacher will do the funeral. If you don't have it down, I won't be doing the funeral because, see, there may be somebody else in the family that will determine it, and there you go. If you can choose and you can make that decision and it's in your hands, try to make the wisest decision. People will think about, you know, where are they going to be buried and their insurance policy and the headstone and what they want on it and a verse of Scripture and all the flowers and where it's going to be and all Everything except the gospel. As long as a preacher says nice, wonderful things. I was doing a funeral one day for my aunt. And she had a son that was in another state. I never got a chance to talk to him, but she had wanted me to do her funeral. So I was going to do her funeral at this little old white church way out in the woods where my daddy was buried. So I'm not there. And uh, everybody's milling around and so forth. So we go in there for the funeral service. And uh, we had a couple songs, and he's sitting there, and the family and all them, you know. So I got up there, and I started doing the gospel. I talked about this and that, and my relationship with her. And, you know, so a few nice little things at the beginning, you know. And that the people here are here as a, a testimony of their love and appreciation and the flowers and all that kind of stuff. And I started going to the gospel. I got about halfway through. This hand represent you and me, and this... Well, it represents sin, and I was going through. He gets up out of his seat and comes up on the stage, walks right up to me, and whispers in my ear. And he says, that's enough of this stuff. Just say some nice things about my mom and let it go. I don't want no more of this. And he turned around and walked back down. Sit down. I says, once again, let this hand represent you and me. 
and Walter represents sin, and I went ahead and did it all over again because he had interrupted me. And I went through it, and I gave the gospel, gave an invitation, had several trust the Lord. Now, can that happen? Oh, I've had it happen. But you've got to determine, what are you committed to? The, she had wanted me to do this because she heard me do it years before, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And her sister, my Aunt Grace, I had led her to the Lord, and I did her funeral. So I got a, a lot of people, the relatives, that trusted Christ as Savior because I explained the gospel to them. But look down here. Most Americans think they are a Christian because we are known to be a Christian nation. Most religious people would say they are saved, only to find out they think they are saved because they do religious things. The best question to ask is, do you know where you are going when you die? If the person says he is going to heaven, then you can ask him how he knows that. His answer will help you know if he really is saved. Is he trusting in any good thing he has done? If he says his eternal destiny is by his faith in Christ and not in his works, then you'll know he's probably a Christian. But you've got to ask them the question. I usually don't ask a person, well, are you saved? And you can, or are you a Christian? You can do that. But I believe, number three there, the best question to ask is, do you know where you're going to go when you die? It demands an answer instead of just yes, because that answer leads into another question. How do you know? Down at the bottom, if he answers incorrectly by saying he knows he is going to heaven when he dies because of some good thing he has done, you can say that you too used to think that that was what would get you to heaven. But you found out from the Bible that there's only one thing you could do, then begin to share the gospel with him. You see, don't, don't just let it go. If you get a good opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord, you'd be surprised who God may send your way, how God may just open up a door and give you an opportunity that you wouldn't have had no other way. Now, the next page, page three, learn to use clear terminology so that the person truly understands the gospel. Salvation is only what Christ has done and none of what we can do to earn it or merit it. The issue will always be helping people understand the difference between grace and works. That's always the issue in salvation. Is it free or do you have to earn it? And if they say they can lose it, then they believe they have to earn it. There is no other way. If you really believe it's free and you really believe it's by grace, then you have no problem believing that it lasts for eternity and that you can't lose it, that God will never cast you out. But if you believe you can lose it, then you don't believe it's free. You believe it's by your works because you'll believe that by something that I do can take my salvation away, then by your obedience, it's keeping your salvation. And they don't understand the gospel. Look at the two things here, grace and works. On the grace side, trust Christ as your Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, receive Christ as your Savior, accept Christ as your All that's the same thing. Because that's just receiving something. See, a gift is something you receive. Works is something that you have to do. On the work side, surrender your all. Make Christ the Lord of your life. Give Jesus your life or turn from your sin. That's all things that you have to do instead of something you simply receive. Those are dead giveaways to a works gospel. 
And this is where guys like John MacArthur and John Piper and some of these nuts are teaching terrible, terrible stuff. I do not recommend them whatsoever. And they're on the radio and they're well known. But they do not have a gospel message, a clear gospel message. I can't say clear because they don't even have a gospel. Their message is not the gospel. Because salvation is all of Christ and none of us. The biblical terms denoting grace are trusting, believing, receiving, accepting. And you can use any one of those words and it won't be no problem. Most people can understand that. Now, it just means that what you're accepting what he already did for you. That's salvation. All of the works terms require a person to do something for salvation. To ask, surrender, give, make. Remember, salvation is not us doing something. It is what Christ has already done. Until a person is born into God's family, it is, he is enable, unable to do anything. The works term can only be used once a person is already saved and you are helping him to grow as a new Christian, not to become a Christian. You do not try to get your children to be obedient or promise to be obedient before they're born. Would there be a problem? Wouldn't that be a problem trying to get your children to promise they're going to behave before you let them be born? <laughs> promise? Are you going to be in there forever? <laughs> no, you let the children be born, and then you have to teach them. You have to educate them. And that's what I believe the Word of God relates it to, the father and son relationship. Avoid using the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. Because this is unclear, and often a child thinks of this literally. Remember that we do not need to ask, but rather we receive what He has given. See, Asking Jesus to come into your heart doesn't mean Jesus is going to come into your heart. You can ask him to come into your heart, your liver, your lungs, your eye, your toe. I don't care. That doesn't mean he comes in just because you asked. Find the verse that promises that. There isn't one. So see, if you will do what God says do, if I trust Christ as my Savior, him indwelling me automatically takes place. But you can ask him to indwell you and never trust him, and you can't have it. So you can't have Christ indwelling you just because you asked. You can't get Jesus to live in your heart just because you asked him to. There's no chapter and verse for it. But if you'll trust Christ as your Savior, he will indwell you. You see, so him indwelling you is a result of trusting him. So people today are asking people to, for the results without trusting. And so this is why kids get all confused and messed up, and even adults, believe it or not. The next thing, determined to use only clear biblical terms so that the lost people can understand the wonderful grace of Jesus that is able to save their soul. <clears throat> These are the seven steps that you always see me use, and probably Hank Lindstrom did the same thing. By the way, we were thinking, trying to figure out, a, if we decided to have a Bible college, what are we going to call it? We've got to have a name. Tampa Bay Bible College is now used by the Apostolic Church here in Tampa. And <clears throat> Florida Bible College has already been taken by the FBC Alumni Association. 
So we'd have to have something else that would be, you know, a nice name. You've got to have something that's really there, you know, if we decide to go down that road. But, um, you know, I think you ought to be thinking about it. Uh, it would hurt. We ought to have a contest. Who can come up with the best name for a Bible college if we had one? Somebody says, Hank and Yank. No, I said, that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's open now. You can, you can start trying to figure out a name. Put it on a piece of paper and give it to me. Don't come up to me and tell me nothing. I can't remember that. You ought to know by that now. I, that ain't going to work. Put it on a piece of paper and, and give it to somebody. G give it to my wife. Because uh, I, don't, I don't want nobody giving me stuff. I'll, I'll lose. I, this thing here, it gets out there like that. But anyway, look at this here. I want you to look at all seven of these things here very quickly. And now look up here. You'll notice that I always do the wallet illustration pretty much the same way. True? You can just about word it. Let this hand represent you and me, and the wallet represents sin. And the Bible says that we have all sinned. See number one? Number one, all have sinned. See, that's the first point. I'd learned this 46 or 7 years ago, and I've been doing it exactly the same way ever since. And then I say the payment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The pay for the sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. So we've all sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So that's why we all have to die. And it's not just one death, it's two deaths. One, physical death, and two, spiritual death, eternal separation from God. So the wages of sin is death, separation. Now, the third thing I always say is, God says heaven is perfect, and to go to heaven we have to be perfect, no sin. So whenever you watch me do it, now I don't say point one, point two, and when you talk to somebody, you don't have to say, now the third point is, didn't leave all the points out. It's just that you know how it's supposed to flow. And see, a person's mind can follow something logically. These seven points are just, see, there's only one thing a man has to do to do, go to heaven. That's to believe it. But there's a, a, a line of understanding that if they understand this point, I am a sinner. Well, what's the results of that? Well, death. Well, I want to go to heaven. Well, go to heaven, you've got to be perfect. But nobody's perfect. We have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. And so because of sin, we can't get in. And uh, God says you cannot earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. See point number four? You can't earn your way to heaven. There's nothing that you can do. So being a sinner is bad news. And going to hell, uh, that's bad news. And got to be perfect to go to heaven. That's not good news for you. And you can't earn your way. Well, that's bad news, too. So all that, that's the bad news. Now, it's time for the good news. And number five, Christ died. So look up here. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us and he hates our sin. So number five is always Christ died for us. So you've got to present the problem before you present the solution. Now, if you just throw all this stuff out and you can say, you know, um, this is you and me and we've all sinned. And then um, uh, if you just believe it, you can have eternal life. You, you get all make, that doesn't mean a person understood it just because you throw a wallet from one hand to the. There's no power in this. The power is in the message. This only illustrates the message. 
This just helps us to explain it to somebody. And a person's mind, if I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that the wages of sin is death, and I have to be perfect to go to heaven, and I'm not, and then I can understand why I can't earn my way to heaven. Why? Because you've got to be perfect, and I'm not perfect. And I know that I've sinned, and I've got to go to hell. So I need a Savior. <coughs> but see, then, five, Christ died. He came and took all of our sins, paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead, because I believe that you ought to throw that in there. That, to me, is important. Came back from the dead. And God says that all that we had to do was do what? Because of this, what do we have to do? Believe it. If we will believe, he did it for us. John 3, 16, all we got to do is believe it. And we can know that we're going to heaven. Number seven, go to heaven. Number seven, you can know you're going to heaven. Five, Christ died. See, it's so simple. It just goes, to, it just flows. Uh, doctors, I didn't originate it. Dr. Stanford taught us this. He gave us a few unique things at Florida Bible College. One, he gave us the Christian Youth Ranch ministry that nobody ever had. He gave us the heaven track with a clear gospel presentation on it nobody ever had. He gave us the two natures that made serving the Lord simple and un easy to understand. And he gave us the Christian Youth Ranch ministry, or did I say that one? But he gave us the, um, the, the wallet illustration, the seven steps. He gave us the simple, basic tools that made us unique. We were different. No other Bible college had what we had. So that when I go to Colorado and I started a Bible college, this was the basics of why we did what we did. When Hank Lindstrom started his college here, this is why he did what he did. And it's all because of what's on this paper and our responsibility and then to teach people how to do it. It looks like it's a simple thing, but people have to know the Bible because people will ask you questions. And if you don't have the answers, their questions and their doubts will become yours. And that's why it's so important. So anyway, as you go down through there, those are the seven steps. You can stand in front of a mirror. I did this. Stand in front of a mirror and practice doing this and trying to see if you can get it right and try to see if you can cover all seven steps. See, if you learn the seven steps, you'll know which ones you left out. And see, any one of these you leave out, you're taking away some truth from the story. Which one of these do you think would be best to leave out? If we're going to leave anything out, which one should we leave out? I can't think of any of them. So that's why I include every one of them in every message. Because I don't want to leave out any of these. Because if a man is lost, which one should I leave out? Number five, Christ died. Should I leave it out that uh, you can know you have eternal life? I can't leave that out. That's what, the, that's what you're talking for. Well, what about um, just believe? Only believe. Well, should we leave that one out? you got to be perfect to go to heaven. Should I leave that out? No. That causes, that's, what, that, that's the problem. I can't earn my way to heaven. See, I needed, why should I trust Christ as my Savior if I think I can't? So I can't leave that out. Well, how do I know I'm not good enough? Oh, you're a sinner. See, there isn't any of these, and yet if you just throw them out there, it's kind of like this. Uh, you've got 10 acres of ground, and you want to build your house. So you throw some blocks on it. You throw some uh, mortar mix out there, and you throw some bricks out there, and you throw some rebar out there, and you've got everything to build a house, <clears throat> but it's not together. You can't live it because it's not together. 
you got to do this and then this and then this and then this and then this. You got to, you know, do the foundation, the footings and so forth. And then you build your walls and your roof. So there's a, a system. And in a person's mind, they can understand it if it has a logical sequence to it. So you don't take this thing and just think, well, just as long as I throw a wallet from one hand to the other, I gave the gospel. Not necessarily. Did you explain what the good news was? Just be, there's no power in this thing. This is only a wallet. I will admit one time I was sitting in a restaurant, <clears throat> and this girl named Jenna Usselton, she was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. She's sitting beside me. And there's about eight or ten of us sitting around. And after church on Sunday night, you know, just kind of like what we do around here, go down here to the VI, Village Inn. Anyway, I, she said, I'm going to witness to the waitress. I said, okay. And I laid my wallet down there beside me. And she came by the waitress dead. And I said, you know what it is? She says, yeah, it's a wallet. I said, oh. Yeah, it's a wallet. I said, no. Wallet. I said, no. She said, well, what is it? I said, it's sin. And she jumped back about two feet. <laughs> she thought it was a rattlesnake then. And I said, let me show you something. And I explained the gospel. And she trusted the Lord. Jenna was burning. She was mad because uh, she had planned on winning her to the Lord. I remember one time I first went to Florida Bible College down there. It was on Sunday morning. And everybody stood around in the foyer. They had a bigger foyer than what we have here. And it wasn't long before this new person come up and started coming down the sidewalk. And Dr. Seymour says, here comes somebody new. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And so there was, I don't know, five, six, seven guys in there. And so as soon as he got inside the door, Dr. Seymour started toward him, and Hank Lindstrom went over there. Well, welcome. Well, glad to have you. And welcome right in and held on to his hand, took him right to the side and says, and it led him to the Lord. <laughs> Dick Seymour, he's, Dick Seymour was one of the instructors at Florida Bible College, too. I remember the first time I sat in Dr. Hank Lindstrom's Sunday school class down at the old grove. And so I had to decide what class I'm going to go to. And so I just said, I'll go in here and I sit down. So I'm sitting there, and it wasn't long before, you know, Hank was teaching on something. I don't know what he was teaching on. And it wasn't long before another person came in and sat down, and I didn't know them. And all of a sudden, Hank Lindstrom said, now let me show you this. And I thought, what in the world is he doing? That has nothing to do with what we were talking about. I mean, it had nothing to do with what we are talking about. It's just like, you know, click, everything else is off. And he started giving the gospel. <laughs> Gave the invitation, person trusts the Lord. But see, that's where his main focus was on, and everything else, it didn't matter. But I remember that. That's just something, a certain image of what I can remember. And that was in 1964, by the way. So my memory isn't totally gone yet. But I remember a few good things. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one. Give us a good service to, to follow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.